0: Everybody, take a look around you at the people here in the auditorium this morning. That means move your head. <laughs> what you're seeing, this is the church, the body of Christ, and we're here this morning to celebrate the church, the body of Christ, to celebrate you. We're here this morning to celebrate who we are in Christ and what we are and what we can be, what we can achieve. We're going to celebrate through music music. We're going to look at what the Word has to say, in particular this morning, about the two ordinances that God gave to the New Testament church. Now, we believe the the church began with the descent of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And at that time, God designed, created, ordained a new spiritual organism. The Bible tells us that the body of Christ, the church, is made up of every single person who has reached out in faith and accepted the gift that God offers through His Son, Jesus Christ, believing that when Jesus died on that cross, that He died and completely paid for their sins. Now again, the Scriptures are very clear that that the Lord Jesus Christ has directed us as the church. Pastor Evans mentioned earlier on the 15th and the 16th of this movement back to church Sunday. In Hebrews chapter 10, God commands us, do not, do not forsake Don't stop assembling yourselves together for fellowship and worship. And when we do, God has commanded us to observe two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. You saw a brief video, and people there talked about the difference that Christ has made in their lives and the newness that they feel. And so they decided to take this step to follow the Lord in believers' baptism in obedience to God's command. In just a moment, we have some people who are going to come and follow the Lord and believers' baptism, and we can rejoice and celebrate with them. But before they come, I want to talk a little bit about baptism. Being a non-denominational Bible church, we do have, over the years, drawn people from a lot of different denominational backgrounds. There are, unfortunately, uh, some misconceptions and, at times, strange ideas that have arisen over both of these ordinances, and I want to touch on them just very briefly this morning. One of the things that really confuses people about baptism is Well, what's the proper way to baptize people? Kathy and I had the opportunity about 15 years ago to uh, take a trip to Israel. And while we were there, we went to the Jordan River, to the spot where traditionally people say this is where Jesus was baptized. Of course, like everything we do in the modern world, it's very commercialized. And so you you enter the area through the gift shop. And there are lots of things you can buy, and they can relieve you of some of your hard-earned cash. But you go out the door onto a walkway beside the Jordan River and the first station you can stop by there is if your preferred method or your believed method is to sprinkle. Then there's another section you can go to a little bit further on down where they'll dip you and then there's a, down at the end, you have to walk the furthest if you believe in total immersion. I had the privilege to baptize a number of people there in the Jordan River while we were there and it was a very special blessing to me. But I believe a lot of this confusion has been caused by the very word baptizer, baptism. And in relationship to that, I would blame the translators of the old King James Bible. You see, the King James translators, when they came to the word baptizo in the Greek, understood, I believe, clearly what the definition of the word is. And the word means to to whelm, to completely cover. Has the idea of cleansing. But you see, the translators of the King James Bible had a... Slight problem. They were part of the Anglican church. They'd been commissioned by King James, the nominal head of the Anglican church there in England, to do this translation. And so the dilemma was, if we translate the word correctly, because keep in mind the Anglicans baptized by sprinkling, if we translate the word correctly, we might lose our heads. The king won't be very happy. And so they basically wimped out. They did what's called a transliteration, and they just took the word baptize and brought it over into the English language and it became or baptizo became baptize, baptism, etc. And basically their idea was we'll let everybody explain it and define it themselves. This is a common thing that happens, especially in here in America, being that we speak English and we're such a melting pot. Many of you have probably enjoyed a parfait. It's a French word for dessert. Never been translated, just transliterated. I have a friend whose mother lives in Kentucky, in a town that's named after the French Versailles. It's spelled the same way, but in Kentucky it's pronounced Versailles. <laughs> and so we have this common throughout our language, but the translators did a great disservice when they simply transliter- transliterated the word because of the confusion that it has caused over the years. Another confusion that I see that takes place in Christianity is people don't understand the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and water baptism. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, takes place in the life of every single person who reaches out in faith and accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, regardless of how old that person may be. I've shared with you all before, my wife was about five and a half when she came to a realization what a dirty, rotten sinner she was and prayed to receive Christ as her Savior. I was 16 myself. She had a part in that. I know a number of people here in our church that were well into their adult years before they finally accepted that gift for themselves. But at whatever point in time that occurs, the Bible says, at that moment, notice in Ephesians 1 you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal. That seal is the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. You see, we are sealed, we are marked, and we are permanently indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. That takes place at spirit baptism the moment a person trusts Jesus Christ as Savior. Notice what Paul writes in Titus 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done or ever could do, but because of his mercy. He saved us, notice, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, again, in just a few moments, as Pastor John comes to baptize these individuals who have come forth this morning, please understand something. Water baptism does not save anybody. It doesn't wash away your sins. It doesn't purify you. It is a very special time in the life of a Christian because these people are coming, first of all, to testify publicly I have trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I recognize, as Romans 3 says, that I am a sinner because I am less perfect than God. I've come to understand that my sin has created this gulf, gap, distance between me and the holy, righteous God of the universe. But I also understand what the Bible says very clearly that God loved me, that God gave Himself in my place so that I could obtain righteousness. And so they come recognizing that and making a public declaration of the fact that it is their decision and their commitment to the best of their ability to walk in obedience. And as a church, we need to covenant with them, pray for them, encourage them, help them in any way we can because the Christian life isn't hard. It is impossible. Without our relying on the person and the presence of God the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. Understand that many, in fact I believe most of the references to baptism in the New Testament have reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the context that will demonstrate whether or not God is talking about spirit baptism, which happens to every single person the moment they trust Christ as Savior, or water baptism that is a choice and a decision that those individuals make. At 9:30 we had two people get baptized. One was Juan Cavallo. Many of you know Juan. He is a, he's either, I think he's a sophomore at Palm Beach Atlantic College. Young man who is really desirous of serving the Lord. And Juliet, who is, I believe, nine years old. And it was such a blessing to see her. And Pastor John asked her, Juliet, have you trusted Christ as your your Savior? She talked very firm, very boldly. Yes, I have. And it's your desire to walk in obedience to the best of your ability. Yes, it is. As she understood that she was making a choice, and that choice involved a commitment on her part. Now, I want to share with you very briefly um, the first six verses from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This is in chapter 4, and when Paul gets to chapter 4, he transitions from the doctrinal issues that he principally dealt with in the first three chapters, so now he's talking about the practical application of those principles in the life of a believer. Look with it. Now, in verse 1, again, this is a calling from God to every single one of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. It is because of who we are in Christ. Not to be particularly religious, not because you come to Florida Bible Church, it's because of who I am in Jesus Christ that God calls me to this. He then, Paul then specifies four graces. Graces that are to give evidence of the Christian character in the life of the believer. Notice, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with others, even if they're hard to bear with, and especially if it happens to be the person sitting next to you. Verse 3, it talks about the absence of these qualities in the life of a believer will jeopardize the unity that God desires for us to have in the Christian life. And by extension, then it's going to have a negative effect on my personal relationship with the Lord. You cannot have a strong relationship with the Lord if you don't have a good relationship within the body of Christ. Now, I'm not saying there won't be problems or disagreements or issues that would come up from time to time. But our responsibility, he says in Matthew, if you come to offer your sacrifice and you know there's a problem between you and a brother, set aside your sacrifice and go and take care of it. I love that as you look at it and I often ask people, tell me when you look at that verse, what's missing there? What's missing is God telling me if it's my fault. It doesn't matter. If I know there's a problem between me or a brother or a sister in Christ, God says, go and take care of it. Get it settled. Don't let it sit there and fester. Don't let it cause problems within the body of Christ because if I allow that to happen, then there's going to be problems between me and the Lord. And if my relationship with the Lord is not what it ought to be, because I'm being disobedient, because I'm not in the Word and I'm not striving to follow God, then it's going to be real difficult for me to put on that fake front all the time and relate well to brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. Now, notice he says, make every effort. What he's saying there, God is very practical and realistic. It isn't always going to be easy. We're going to have to work hard at it at times. But it is worth the effort. And again, God commands us. Now, when he goes to verse 4, the reason that we should work so very hard to preserve and maintain this unity is, again, because it's God's will. And Paul now goes to what one commentator calls a crescendo of nouns thought that sounded real scholarly. A crescendo of nouns to impress upon us how important this is. You'll notice there's three groups of three items each. Paul progresses from a realization that God desires that for us to have about the unity in the spirit to the focus of our unity in the son and then ultimately to the source of unity, which is God the Father. Notice he says there is one body. You see, that speaks of the church as a single, visible community, not some mystical type of organization, but a real, visible community where real people are helping other real people with some very real problems. Pastor Pete has been constant, if you will, over the past couple of years in emphasizing the need for us as a church to build community within Florida Bible Church, And then also to reach out and to build community within the community around us. It is the church is a visible, physical, and spiritual body that God desires to work in and through. One spirit refers back to God the Holy Spirit. Again, every single one of us who know Christ as Savior were spirit baptized and are indwelt by the same God the Holy Spirit. Again, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 said the moment we trusted Christ as Savior, we'd be sealed, marked, and indwelt by the Spirit. John chapter 14, Jesus told the disciples that Spirit will teach us all things. As you read the Word and, and you kind of scratch your head or you're struggling with something and not quite understanding, we are so blessed today. We have so many references we can go to or whatever, but the most critical, the most important reference, if you will, we have is the Holy Spirit within us to give us guidance and direction and illumination. The light goes on. Now I understand. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, remember as Jesus was ready to ascend up into heaven, he reminded his disciples, guys, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and you will be filled with power. The power to live the Christian life. The power to resist the temptations that the enemy is constantly trying to lay in front of us. The the power to bear with those who are difficult at times. And so the spirit baptism is our incorporation, if you will, into this spiritual organism called the body of Christ. It is how God imparts his righteousness to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for you and I, that we could be made righteous in and through him. That's what enables us as sinners to fellowship with a holy, righteous God. It is the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the second trio relates to one Lord. John 14.6, Jesus told him, I am... The way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but by me. One faith is that that unites all believers, regardless of the language that we speak, it unites every single one of us, and it speaks of the commitment that we've made to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one baptism here, I believe, because it's included in this trio, one Lord, this baptism refers to water baptism because, you see, Water baptism is the outward declaration of my trusting Christ as Savior. It is the outward seal, if you will, of my relationship with Jesus Christ and the rest of the body of Christ because I'm now part of that body. Now again, while a lot of debate has focused on the varying interpretations of the method of baptism, we believe that scripturally, and if you will even logically, that total immersion— fulfills more completely the symbolic aspect of water baptism than anything else. Since it's three steps that you're going to observe. Immersion, as these individuals come, and Pastor John immerses them completely into the water. Submersion, as they go completely under, and then immersion as they emerge up out of the water. Identifying themselves with the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Praise God, because it was that resurrection that proved, that signified, that declared my payment is complete. My payment is satisfactory in the eyes of God the Father. And then Romans chapter 6, Paul writes this, well then, should we, see, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more of his wonderful grace? Huh, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how, how in the world can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that When we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You see, the purpose of their identification with Christ in his burial, his death and his burial, is that, again, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory, which is a synonym for God's power. We too can live a new life. The Greek word translated newness speaks of a life that has a newer, fresh quality. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was not just a resuscitation. It demonstrated and began a new way of life and in that same way the spiritual lives of believers in Jesus have a new fresh quality. And it is this declaration that we celebrate this morning. Now let me touch very briefly we do not practice infant baptism. I hope you have seen through just what I've touched on here this morning of how much of an understanding of Romans 3.23. I'm a sinner because I'm less perfect than God. An understanding of Romans 6.23 that my willfully disobedient choices keep me separated from God. And an understanding that God in his love and in his mercy died, paid for my sins, and offers me salvation as a gift. We're blessed. We have there's a lot of children here. Some of you are very happy they're in the nursery. But they are very precious to us. And what a great opportunity that God has given us to raise these children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But I guarantee you, I take you down this hallway and there's not a single one down there who understands a word that I've just said. They don't understand the concept. They don't understand what the decision that that they've made. Now those who were here at 9.30 and those who are here now at this service... They understand the choice that they have made as an individual. Understanding their need, understanding God's love, and understanding the decision that they are making. Let me challenge you. If you've never been biblically baptized, and again, as a non-denominational church, we have for many years drawn people from a lot of different denominational backgrounds. And we believe, again, scripturally, that the biblical method of bapti- baptism is by complete And total immersion. If you've never been baptized, just take the connection card in the back. There's a box you can check off. My desire is to be baptized. I'll get in touch with you. We have an orientation class that we'll put you through that'll just kind of reinforce what baptism is, what it is not. But there's no greater joy than to, even with a stage fright, to stand there in that baptism pool and to realize I am testifying, I have trusted Christ as my Savior. It is my desire to walk in newness of life. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate and remember what is a very special time in the life of the body of Christ as we reflect back on Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and look forward to his promised return. On the night before his crucifixion, Jesus adopted the position as head of the household, and gathered with his disciples in the upper room in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It's interesting as you read about this particular time with his disciples that Jesus did not give new and significant meaning to the special parts of the Passover meal, the lamb and the bitter herbs, but rather he chose the bread and the wine, common elements in any dinner to have... Some special meaning. Notice what Mark says about this time. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to, it, to them, and they, they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Paul's teaching on the Lord's Supper in the New Testament is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he stresses the spiritual communion between Christ and his body, which again is all believers, and again within the body of Christ. Even as the Israelites were miraculously fed in the wilderness by manna and water, so in communion with Christ, God spiritually nourishes those of us who are part of the body of Christ. Like baptism, as I mentioned earlier, unfortunately, there are some misunderstandings about the Lord's Supper in some denominations. I want to touch very briefly on them this morning. Some people believe in a supposed doctrine called transubstantiation. They believe that the elements, the bread and the sweet wine or the grape juice, that they literally become the body of And the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say to you there's a big problem with that because there is absolutely, positively nothing whatsoever in Scripture to even remotely suggest such an idea. The celebration of the Passover was always a remembrance of what God had miraculously done in the lives of the nation of Israel and the people of Israel as He delivered them from bondage in Egypt. The elements of the Passover brought remembrance to them of that special time. But the elements themselves didn't have any special power. Anybody who might have seen them observing that meal wouldn't have seen any glowing or anything super ordinary happening. They'd just see people eating. The same thing is true about the elements of the Lord's Supper that we're going to partake of in just a very few minutes. Jesus tells the church, as often as you do it, Do it in remembrance of me. The focus on the elements is what they signify to us, that unleavened wafer signifying the body of our Savior nailed to the cross and the sweet wine, the grape juice, symbolizing his blood because it was his blood that completely washed away all of our sins. Then there are some who have chosen to refer to the Lord's Supper in sacrificial terms as though it were... A sacrifice in a unique sense, uh, an unbloody sacrifice, if you will. There are some who believe that every time they have their worship service, they are crucifying Jesus Christ all over again. Remember, Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 7 that Jesus died on the cross once to pay for the sins of all mankind. Nowhere, nowhere in the New Testament does it say or doesn't even remotely imply that the Lord's Supper is a sacrifice. It's never called a sacrifice Again, Jesus died once and completely paid for our sins. Most of you are familiar with John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, male, female, rich, poor, young, old, of every ethnic background, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, But that the world through him might be saved. He that believes is not condemned. He that believes not has already condemned himself. You know, many who don't understand the scriptures, who reject the truth of God's word, want to continue to point to God and say, well, if God is such a God of love, then why does he? And you fill in the blank. Or why doesn't he? And you fill in the blank. But you see, it all comes down to the choices that we make. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God sent Jesus Christ into the world to save the entire world. 1 Timothy 2, God wants a personal relationship. It's his desire that every single person come to a saving knowledge of the truth. Because Jesus lives forever, Paul writes in Hebrews 7, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. You see, Jesus is not just hanging out in heaven right now, relaxing and taking it easy. He spends day after day after day interceding, defending us. As the enemy is there to accuse us, the Lord stands up to remind, yes, Father, but I paid for that sin. Yes, Lord, but I paid for that lie. I paid for that thought. I paid for that action. Such a high priest meets our need. You see, it's all about my need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins, notice, once for all when he offered himself. Now, the Lord's Supper is most assuredly a memorial of that sacrifice. And it is, if you will, a sacrifice of praise. That we offer up to God. But it's neither a repetition of the sacrifice of Christ, nor is it part of this interceding that Christ is continually doing on our behalf. It is a proclamation, it is a remembrance of the Lord's death until He returns, and He has promised to return. Now, here at Florida Bible Church, we practice what's called commonly open communion. That means that you do not have to be a church member here to participate in communion with us. But let me encourage you what God requires of us in order for this to have significance and meaning in our lives. What God requires is that we are part of the body of Christ. That again happens when we understand, when we look inside and realize the truth of Romans 3. I am a sinner less perfect than God. When I realize again the truth of Romans chapter 6, when God says that I've created this huge gap or gulf between me and God, there's no amount of the good works I could ever do that are going to close that gap off. It's like the old two steps forward, three steps back because of my sin nature and my propensity to gravitate towards sin. And God offers a gift. Just like Christmas time, like your birthday, all you have to do for that gift to be yours is take it. God says, the gift is my son. Whom I sacrificed on that cross and shed his blood to completely pay for your sins. When you accept that gift, believing the record of God's word. That Jesus died and paid for your sins and God guarantees eternal life. Jesus himself said in John chapter 10, I'm going to give you eternal life and you will never perish because no one, no one can pluck you out of my hand. First John 5, 13, pastor lovingly shares it every single week. These things have I written to those of you that believe on the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, it's all based on what Jesus did on the cross, not on anything we ever could do. So my encouragement to you, if you've never accepted that gift for yourself, why not? Why not now? In the quietness of your mind, right now, even as I finish up and we get prepared for the Lord's Supper, just talk to God. Lord, I really don't understand all this, but but I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I've done things wrong. And so I will accept that gift that you offer, believing the record of the Bible that when Jesus died on that cross, he died and paid for my sins something like that in your own words, God guarantees he'll save you right where you sit. And then, then we invite you to join in the Lord's Supper with us. Then it truly will have meaning and significance in your life as we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross and as we reflect on the promise that he's going to come back. But now Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to give us some guidelines, if you will, about how we observe the Lord's Supper. Notice, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking of the cup. Now Paul's reference here to eating and drinking unworthily doesn't have any reference whatsoever to how you, you know, hold the cup. How you eat the wafer. You see, it's all about... My coming to God. There's a word in the Bible, repent. Again, admit, often misunderstood and miscommunicated word. The word in the Greek, metaneo, means a change of mind or a change of attitude. And as we come and prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, this is a time for repentance because there's not a single one of us who's not struggling with something. And this is a time to make a change in my mindset and my attitude. Whether it's a change about what I think of this person, if it's a change about how I speak to people, if it's a change of what I do, how I do it, when I do it, whatever it is. But I need to come before God, not perfect, although in Christ I am perfect. But in practical reality, it's about thinking about the decision that those who were baptized this morning made. It's my choice to walk in newness of life. It's my choice to strive to be obedient each and every day. Paul goes on to say, for if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick, and some have died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. You see, because of God's great love for us, God gives us the opportunity to judge ourselves, if you will. The Bible says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We don't have to go through a priest or another man. We can come boldly to the throne, fellowship with our God, and God guarantees when I confess my sin, God is faithful and just to forgive me of that sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I stand clean and pure because of who I am in Christ. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward now and We're going to pass out the elements of the Lord's Supper and we ask as you receive them that you hold them until everyone has received them and we are ready to to share in this celebration, to share in this memorial together. there is no greater joy for a human being than to understand even in our limited scope the fact that God the creator God of the universe the all-powerful God the God who because he had to judge Sodom and Gomorrah many people believe what resulted was a nuclear holocaust because right there God simply released all the atoms. A God with that power though who chose to love us. Remember the word love is a verb. It's an action word. And it's all about choice. We hear the word so often misused today, misapplied, bandied about, trashed, stomped on. So many people have lost sight of what it truly means. There's no greater definition of the word love than to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater joy than to understand how much God loves you. And to make a decision to strive to be obedient to God. Again, those who are outside the family of God often point to The church and the Bible in a critical manner saying, ah, the church is just don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and you can't do this. But think about it, those of you who are parents or grandparents, of the times that you say no to your children. You don't say no because you don't like them. You say no because you love them. You say no because that's not good for you. You say no because you don't really need that. It's not going to make you happy. It's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to fulfill you. But when you can, there's no greater joy than to say yes and to see their face light up with joy. There is no greater joy than to look to God, look to the principles that God has laid down in his word, and then make a choice to be obedient, because God promises that he will bless us. He promises that we will experience true joy and true peace and true happiness, in spite of the fact that God also says, while I'm giving you my peace, you can expect trouble in the world around you. God doesn't promise everything's going to be hunky-dory and that we'll never have any problems or worries Many of you know what your brothers and sisters in Christ here are going through. People are struggling because of the economy. Relationships are strained and struggling. And yet, let me assure you that whatever the question is, whatever the problem is, whatever the struggle is, the answer begins with Jesus. God has set forth in the Word, by direct command or principle, The answer to every single situation. Understand the Christian life is not hard. It's utterly impossible. Unless I am trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless I am using that power that God gave me. And gives me continuously through the person of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so we come to celebrate that this morning. As we look back again on the fact that the creator God of the universe sent his only son to be tortured, nailed to a tree, that he might shed his blood to pay for our sins, not his own. And so Paul relates that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, he blessed it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after they had supped, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we're showing the Lord's death until he comes back for us. Our gracious, loving Father, we thank you for this time that we have had to celebrate. Lord, we've celebrated with these who have come this morning to follow in Believer's Baptism, to declare I have trusted Jesus as my Savior and it is my desire and my intent to walk in this newness of life. Lord, I'm going to strive to be obedient every day. I know that I will struggle, but Father, I seek your glory and I'm depending on your strength that I might be obedient. Lord, we have celebrated your honor and your glory through the gift of music and these talented to play and to sing. And Father, we have celebrated and remembered the love of our Savior who died on the cross, shed his blood and paid for our sins, who offers life eternal, who offers life eternal, true life here and now, that in spite of the turmoils that will surround us, that we can be at peace, that we can know true peace, true joy, and true happiness. not that which the world offers that vanishes like a vapor that depends on other people and their whims and desires, but Lord, a true peace that as we experience it, As we walk towards you in obedience, it only gets stronger. It becomes more complete in us. And Father, that motivates and challenges and encourages us to be more obedient. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here. We are the body of Christ. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In good times and in bad times. When we struggle with each other. We are your body. I pray, Lord, that we're mindful of that every single day. That we look for opportunities. Seize opportunities. To be a blessing in the lives of those around us those who are struggling, those who need answers. Thank you, Father, for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit and all that he provides to us as we say, Come, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray.